Welcome back, Professor Williams. And uh, Thank you. once again, it's a, it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you about uh, fascinating, wonderful, beautiful, and important things <laughs> in the Christian uh, life. Indeed. One thing I have uh, discovered about you is that you enjoy music, mm. and not only as a, as a music lover, listening to music, but you also write music. Would you... Would you mind sharing with us? Uh, I, I, yeah, sure. I, this is at a, an amateur level, although um, I, I came fairly late uh, to music in, in, in life, but I uh, pursued it um, in my, uh, towards the end of my pre-university education and also in the first year of my undergraduate uh, education because I went to um, study humanities in the University of Wales in the oh, UK okay. and um, so I took three different humanities courses in my first year and I took uh, music, English literature and philosophy. Uh, so I, I ended up going on and pursuing philosophy and um, with a degree in philosophy but I, I spent my first year doing doing music there as well and uh, I, I uh, played flute at the time which I kept on as a hobby for a number of years playing in um, church bands and so on and I've sung in, in choirs and I still sing in my, my current church choir uh, on occasion uh, when I have the, the, the time to, to commit to that. Um, but yeah, a few years ago, members of my, my church uh, Bible study home group um, encouraged me to, to take up a hobby uh, that uh, didn't involve underlining things in books, <laughs> basically, because that's what you spend a lot of time doing as a philosopher. And uh, I'd been I'd been talking to them. We'd been sharing our testimonies, and I I talked a little bit about my my musical background and things. Oh, you should okay. you should do some composing again. So, I um, I bought one of these electronic composition programs where you can you can program the score into your computer, write the score, and have the computer sort of electronically. Um, uh, sing and, and produce the score uh, musically for you. Is music important for a philosopher? Is music important for for a Christian uh, pursuer? Uh, it doesn't have to be, but it certainly can be. And uh, even back to the, the ancient uh, Greeks, who were some of them fascinated by the, the relationship between musical tones and musical notes and mathematics and uh, sort of understanding the nature of the world in, in the harmony uh, of the world uh, into the medieval ideas about the harmony of the, the spheres and the, the rational structure of the world as created by God uh, is explored through science, but also in a, in a sense explored uh, musically uh, as uh, creative beings made in God's image to uh, appreciate what I, what I believe are, are objective values of beauty and so on. A, a lot of that connects with me as a, as a Christian and as a, a philosopher. Um, the, the, the beauty of music, its power to communicate uh, ideas uh, without uh, using words necessarily, although of course you can you can put words in music as well. Uh, so um, it's a very powerful uh, art form, and um, yeah, a few years ago you can find on through my website. It's only the the electronic scores, but you can you can you can look at the uh, the PDFs of the actual scores, so you can see the the words that the choir are meant to be singing. Because of course the the electronic uh, at the moment we've only got the technology for the choir to go ah, oh. <laughs> you can put the words blurred in the score. But yeah, I've, I've read uh, a sequence of music that that tells the Christian uh, worldview from from creation to new creation, called from glory to glory. And I've written a few little bits of music here and there that have been on various people's YouTube videos and sort of introduction music to YouTube videos on um, philosophy websites and things. But uh, fascinating, yeah. fascinating to uh, be talking to someone that uh, writes philosophy, writes music, speaks 
in uh, international speaking events, and that's uh, one of the reasons for for this time for you being in Romania. Yes. And I would like to uh, capitalize on that uh, mm -hmm. on that aspect of your uh, of your ministry of your life uh, work, and say that. Um, Aside from yourself being an author uh, of several books, I don't know exactly how many. Mm, seven or eight now, yeah. Seven or eight now, although you're so young. Uh, and we're looking forward to more of your writings. Uh, I'm sure you can uh, uh, you can talk about some of the um, of, of the titans of the grands of uh, of the Christian, uh, not only. Theology, but Christian philosophy of mm. thinking, and uh, uh, this time you're going to be speaking about C.S. Lewis. And if you don't mind on, on sharing with us, why do you believe mm. C.S. Lewis is worth? Uh, maybe for the people that have not read any of his writings, sure. C.S. Lewis still yeah. uh, worth reading, and is it is he yeah. helpful for our? Uh, critical thinking? I, I think so, absolutely. He's, uh, like I'm an amateur in music, Lewis was an, an amateur in uh, apologetics. Uh, his uh, academic training um, back in the 1920s, 30s was in uh, philosophy, greats at Oxford University, which included sort of classics, philosophy, English literature and so on. Um, he was a philosophy tutor for a while, tutoring in philosophy at Oxford, but his, his main job there was a uh, professor of English literature. Um, but he found himself, um, as he sort of said, stepping into the breach that he, he thought other people were not uh, stepping up to the plate in terms of a, a, a giving a, a public voice of a, a reasoned explanation and exploration of the Christian worldview. Um, he started publishing some things and then became particularly famous through a series of talks he gave in the, on the radio uh, for the BBC during the Second World War. Uh, and those talks eventually became his, uh, perhaps his most famous apologetics book, Mere Christianity. Um, and many people will know him through his uh, children's literature, the, the Narnia books, but also he wrote um, adult fiction, he wrote a, a trilogy of science fiction novels. Um, uh, um, out, out, out of the Silent Planet and Perlandra and uh, That Hideous Strength, um, which are really worth, uh, worth a read uh, today as well. And so he's, he's a man of interest in a sort of wide variety of literature. Wrote, of course, books on, on professional books on English literature and understanding the medieval worldview behind lots of uh, literature uh, as well but also uh, many essays and, and sermons and, and talks and so on and books in Christian apologetics. Um, and um, those are issues that are still sometimes talked about by professional philosophers today, some of Lewis's uh, arguments. And a little while ago I took part in a, a debate called um, C.S. Lewis's Apologetics Pro and Con, where we had a series of, of debates over arguments made famous by C.S. Lewis. Can you name one? Uh, so I, I took uh, part in a debate over Lewis's so-called argument from desire. Uh, this argument from the sort of spiritual longings that he argued were, were natural or innate to human nature. Uh, that don't seem that they, they may seem to be sparked by our interest in the things in this world, but not satisfied by the things that this world has to, has to offer us. Um, and one can either become disillusioned with the human state because of this, or perhaps think that there are signposts and indication that there is uh, more 
uh, that humans are destined for than simply this world. So that there's an argument in there for some sort of a transcendent reality. Uh, some versions of this argument work their way up into in full arguments for the existence of uh, a God uh, in whom we can find satisfaction in, rela in relationship with him uh, in the afterworld. So... Um, very uh, interesting series of arguments and which recently professional philosophers have started uh, discussing, not only myself but others. Mm. Um, um, he is still discussed uh, in the area of um, sometimes the problem of evil, his book The Problem of Pain is still discussed and particularly um, his argument uh, from his book on miracles uh, about um, how can we trust human reason if we think of humans as just the product of a, of a mindless, naturalistic world? Uh, and those are, are arguments that are still discussed um, and that have inspired uh, various versions of arguments against a naturalistic worldview that have um, been put forward by some of the leading philosophers of the, the 21st century. So. Okay, so uh, you would recommend C.S. Lewis as a as an author, yeah, definitely. I, I think a, a really good way in, uh, perhaps, would be to, to buy one of the um, thicker collections of his essays uh, that are available, uh, collected together today, and then you can read lots of short bits oh. by Lewis on a, a wide variety of, of topics. So that would that would give the casual reader yeah, a, yeah. Uh, a a nice, uh, entertaining, and instructive right. way of of, uh, of getting in touch with this um, yeah, yeah. such a great author. You mentioned. Uh, in another conversation we had, uh, one of my favorite um, theologians, thinkers, uh, namely Francis Schaeffer, mm, American-born, yeah. British-educated, um, uh, and uh, I'd be very interested, and I, I think it would be very helpful for the, especially for the younger mm, the listeners, mm. to um, if if we can, you can give like an overview of. Of this sure. titan of uh, of thinking and mm, uh, mm. and why why he he would be something mm, they should mm. consider reading. Schaeffer is, is is a fascinating chap. His his ideas uh, in in terms of the the books that he published and so on really started being influential in the sort of nineteen seventies. Um, Late in his life, yeah. When he'd uh, he was uh, a missionary who'd set up uh, a, a communal uh, living. Uh, a place called Le Brie in uh, Switzerland, uh, uh, where the sort of uh, people from the sort of hippie dropout culture of the 1960s uh, on the spiritual quest uh, could kind of uh, come and drop in and spend time in, in community with Christians exploring their uh, spiritual questions. So uh, instead of you know ending up on a, a beach in Bali somewhere, they would end up in the Alps <laughs> uh, talking about... Uh, the Big Questions of Life with Francis Schaeffer and his wife Edith Schaeffer also published a, a number of books. Um, and um, then he started uh, publishing some books which, which spread forward his sort of ideas of engaging with people at the level of, of both the level of their worldview and as that it was expressed in culture, in the arts. And he was one of the, the, the first uh, thinkers who really got uh, Christians seeing the the importance of engaging intellectually with the, the the arts and how the arts expressed worldviews and influenced people's ideas, even people who aren't sort of formally thinking and studying about worldviews and spirituality and things are impacted by the expression of these things through the arts, through music, song, television, film, theatre, 
etc. And he explored worldviews through exploring uh, the arts and, um, and this notion of uh, that Christians should help people to think more deeply and consistently about their own non-Christian worldviews in order to uh, generate a sense of dissatisfaction with those non-Christian ways of living in the world because Schaefer thought that um, since he thought Christianity was true, he thought non-Christian ways of looking at the world would, would at, at some point have a point of tension or incoherence or self-contradiction within them, um, that they wouldn't really be uh, 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 as livable uh, as the Christian worldview, wouldn't be as consistent, uh, philosophically speaking, as the Christian worldview and so on, and that if you could help someone to, to as he sort of said, um, think so consistently about their view of the world that they see that taken to its sort of logical ex fullest extent those non-christian views become self-refuting yeah. or, or, or incoherent or unlivable or, or, or in some way um, that that would then sort of be a, a, a step on the road to then being in a position to consider thoughtfully the christian uh, alternative to that so didn't just jump in with telling people the gospel but rather jumped in with well what do you think Tell me your view of the world, asking them questions sort of Socratically uh, about things <laughs> yeah. and exploring uh, the big issues through the arts with them as a preamble to getting into Christian evangelism. That, that, that is exactly what, what I was going after. And I was thinking he died in 1984 mm. and uh, it was right before the dot-com era yeah. began. Yeah. So I was, I was wondering if you, if you could, I mean, I know, I know this is just uh, a little bit of philosophy and speculation but what, what would you what would you think he would he would write he would say to the to the the, the people that are living today mm -hmm. in a in an era uh, they say nothing influenced uh, the the previous generations more than the TV yeah more yeah. than the television and uh, it seems that mm. today yeah. the the fact that we're interconnected, <coughs> that uh, yeah. everything is seems so easy, and there's a uh, there's a host of information and mm, of mm. disinformation sure. to quote you, um, uh, it, it poses new challenges. How would you, how yeah. do you, how do you, yeah. how do you think he would he would challenge the younger generation yeah. to? Uh, to tackle this, I think in fundamentally the same way. I think what's changed is is the the the, the breadth and range of our access to this material, the 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 way in which we consume culture, both in terms of uh, uh, audiovisual programming and and music and so on through streaming services. Uh, the fact that you, you don't watch a series by watching it at the same time every week <laughs> generally as the TV program releases it at a certain time and place in their schedule uh, you either record it or you just binge it online through Netflix or Amazon or whatever uh, as, as uh, many episodes as, as chain, you chain watch, <laughs> chain watch. <laughs> that's right so um, uh, we wish to binge on, on on these things and and again that that can be great <laughs> I enjoy uh, doing that but we have just more and more of these things um, that we we can access and that just means more and more um, opportunities for people to influence how we think and feel and, and choose uh, about things and it becomes ever more crucial that we um, think critically about these things 
um, that we ask ourselves what values and so on are being promoted by the materials that we watch uh, and to explore we can we can explore those issues through that very programming I don't think it's something that we should sort of run away from sort of run for the hills oh no the media is coming what we need to do is to equip people to engage with the big ideas through their use of media to be thinking about their spirituality and their worldviews as they engage with media how should our spirituality and worldviews affect how we consume and how we produce uh, and what we do with uh, the media uh, environment in which we we swim um, also i was going to note francis schaeffer although writing sort of in the the 60s the 70s the 80s was one of the the early voices in sort of seeing the the shift from modernism to postmodernism and mm. talking about Schaefer put a great deal of emphasis on what he called true truth to try and emphasize now I really think there is a a truth here that truth is important with a with a capital T and we we uh, had writing a, a, against the incoherence of sort of giving up on the notion of of truth and saying you know, do, do texts really have a meaning? Can, can we have more or less accurate interpretations of what people are communicating and so on, which is something that's, that's questioned by certain postmodern thinkers. Uh, and that's very relevant still uh, today, his engagement with the, the sort of uh, yeah. fledgling beginnings of postmodernism as well. He is seen by many as a sort of a prophet of his mm. times mm. that he perceived uh, this uh, this wave of, uh, of negotiating, denying, fighting against the truth, like yeah. ahead of time, yeah. and uh, and he he wrote about it. He spoke about it a lot, and yeah. that's I think that's very important. And uh, I would I, I'd like to know from you if you can name like from your perspective. I'm interested in your perspective. Mm, mm. Uh, other people, writers of yeah. our age that not that he's not of our age but he's yeah. not here anymore. he's not around anymore no okay uh, of, of, yeah. of our age that you think would be mm, uh, mm. beneficial would be challenging would be helpful yeah. for uh, the younger yeah. uh, younger generation to, to <coughs> except for Peter S. Williams of course sure of course of course, of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there's really been something there was something of a revolution within the the the, the academic world of philosophy in the 1960s uh, where uh, philosophy moved from an era uh, where it was just very concerned with how we use language uh, accurately uh, to, to do things or to mean things yeah. terminology and and also quite sort of hidebound by um, ideas of, of tying knowledge to science um, which was ditched around the sort of 1960s when philosophers re realized you know we there's more to knowing than knowing through science um, it's self-contradictory to say we can only know through science because that's not a scientific statement itself um, so uh, this reopened debates about the big metaphysical issues and philosophers started addressing those big metaphysical issues about truth and goodness and beauty and God and uh, worldviews and the problem of evil and, and so on uh, using this sort of um, very precise technical tools of philosophy that had been developed in the early 20th century but now reapplying them to the age-old big questions of metaphysics uh, and um, Christians started um, impacting the world of philosophy at the highest academic levels so we moved from a, an era where the voices in culture that were talking about these big ideas were, were the, 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 uh, the amateurs like C.S. Lewis, like Francis Schaeffer 
uh, to a position where people who were formerly trained in philosophy were advocating for Christian views on, mm. on, on subjects. People like Alvin Plantinga and William Alston, William Lane Craig, J.P. Morland. Um, these are uh, American Christian philosophers yeah. or British Christian philosophers like Richard Swinburne, Keith Ward and so on. Um, so that nowadays uh, we have uh, people at the highest level uh, within the philosophical community uh, who are uh, explicitly Christian uh, philosophers uh, and we have uh, people uh, I would say like, like me who are, are trying to keep a sort of foot in the academic world whilst also trying to sort of explain uh, this debate and these ideas that are more popular uh, level through my writings and, and speaking to terms. sort of translate yeah. it for the layman a little bit more uh, and, and a wide range of um, Christian apologists from different uh, backgrounds taking different sort of angles different specialisms and different things um, I think there's a, a great uh, American uh, popular apologist called uh, Jay Warner Wallace who's a, a cold case detective and he brings his experience as a, a detective who solves cold case uh, murder cases and applies those tools and techniques he uses as a detective to investigating the historical reliability of the Gospels and this is something he did as a non-believer mm -hmm. which moved him himself to becoming a believer and now he, he writes and speaks uh, about that material that personally changed his mind from from that background or Lee Strobel who yeah, not, I was uh, going to say not unlike Lee yeah, Strobel yeah, yeah, who yeah, as yeah, an investigative yeah. uh, journalist, journalist. Um, his yeah. wife became a Christian when he was he was an atheist and he thought well I'll debunk this and and you know show her the error of her ways and started researching yeah. it as he would as a journalist and uh, ended up changing his mind and he made a case yeah. for everything yeah he's he a series of books called the case for the case for Christ the case for the real Jesus the case the for, for faith and so on um, and you can see recently his his um, story of conversion was made into a film the case for Christ film uh, which you can you can see so um, yeah I think we, we live in a sort of golden age of apologetics both in terms of there's really high-level academic stuff going on uh, a plethora of, of good uh, popular apologetics that's grounded in and informed by uh, high-level academic work and of course now uh, alongside like books make it accessible like, to people, like, like people and, and doing that through the medium not only of, of the written word today but being able to do that through um, podcasts through videos on the internet radio, uh, radio and so on so uh, using these uh, modern tools of media uh, to spread good this good information so am I safe to say that if somebody's on the look for the truth there is lots of resources they can access they can uh, they can they can use so yes, there's absolutely. no excuse for them to just well, let themselves influence. The difficulty is, is finding out and, and knowing within uh, the fog of so much media which are the reliable, well-informed sources. Mm. And of course, of course, there are you know there are Christian apologetics websites that do a very bad job. <laughs> at, at, at arguing for the truth that don't use reliable sources and so on just as there are you know uh, the new atheists who do a very bad job of arguing for atheism uh, there are uh, atheist thinkers who do a much better job than, than them that one uh, could and should uh, engage with and it's like that on the Christian side as well of, of course so you, you need to sort of ask around uh, and look for those people who have the, the relevant professional expertise 
we were talking earlier about how many of the new atheists are sort of scientists, zoologists or cosmologists or talking outside of their field of professional expertise when they're talking about New Testament historiography or <laughs> the philosophical arguments for and against God. Uh, so uh, if you want to know about New Testament historiography, go and look at people who have degrees in, you know, PhDs in, uh, in New Testament uh, studies, in historiography, in archaeology and, uh, and so on. If you want to think about the metaphysical philosophical issues, go, go to people like William Lane Craig and J.P. Morland who have PhDs in the relevant subjects uh, at least. Um, and do that on all sides of the issue. And as we were saying earlier, um, a really good way to get into this is to watch debates between professional, informed people uh, having uh, serious uh, debates on the issues, um, taking it seriously. You know, um, don't unfortunately watch uh, Lawrence Krauss trying to engage with William Lane Craig, because Lawrence Krauss, a uh, new atheist scientist, didn't take it, it seriously, was yeah. very um, uh, unprofessional, frankly, in his engagement. Uh, but go go and watch debates between you know Christians and, and folks like Michael Roos or Daniel Dennett. Um, like myself uh, appeared on a radio show some time ago discussing uh, arguments for God with A.C. Grayling, who's a British new atheist philosopher, and he really engaged on the issues and I think made clear, you know, we, we agreed to disagree, but we laid out, you know, here's why I think this and here's why I disagree. And well, I think that's where I disagree with you. I think that premise is wrong for the following reasons. And we really engaged on the issues rather than uh, attacking the person. We, we attacked the, the arguments and the ideas and put that before the audience. In closing, let me ask you a question. Are you hopeful for the future spiritual uh, dynamics of uh, Western, Eastern Europe, the Western world in general? Do you see? Or uh, the, the, the jury is still so The jury may be still out. There, there, are, signs of, there are signs of hope, uh, and there are, are signs that might make one depressed. Uh, and I, again, I come back to the, this point that our, our task as followers of Christ is to be faithful, not necessarily successful. Uh, we know in the end, in the long term, God has won the victory. Uh, and uh, what we do now is, is uh, includes you know, our contribution towards that final uh, victory. Mm. And all we can do is, is live faithfully in our discipleship here and now. And... Uh, you know, that's all we can do. So let's do that and not worry too much about the, the, the bigger concerns that are frankly you know, out of our hands. So. Let's talk about it in a few years again. Yeah. <laughs>